Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. I'm Jenny Hamill, education reporter at IdeaStream, sitting in for City Club CEO Dan Malthrop. It is May 14th and you're with a virtual City Club forum. We are live from the studios of 90.3 WCPN IdeaStream. In March, a series of mass shootings occurred at three spas in Atlanta, killing eight people six of whom were Asian women. The shootings stirred outrage and fear in the Asian American Pacific Islander community, which has seen dramatic increases in racism and hate crimes since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. According to new data from the activist organization Stop AAPI Hate, nearly 3,800 anti-Asian hate incidents occurred between March of 2020 and March of this year, with almost 70% targeting Asian women. Sadly, this is not a new phenomenon. Even before the pandemic, members of the Asian American Pacific Islander community were subjected to discrimination and racism. And women have additionally suffered misogyny and sexism, and often they all suffered in silence. But that is changing. Here in Cleveland, nearly 1,000 people attended a Stop Asian Hate rally in March. The Cleveland City Council also passed an emergency resolution to condemn racism, xenophobia, and hate crimes, especially against Asians and Asian American Pacific Islanders during the pandemic. Today, we're going to talk about these issues facing the Asian American Pacific Islander community and the work that's being done towards a future that hopefully will include greater empowerment and inclusion. So joining us today, Professor Antoinette Satforus McDaniel. She is an indigenous Chamorro from Guam. She did doctoral work at Yale University and was the first tenure-track sociologist to be hired to teach Asian American Studies at Oberlin College, where she was a founding faculty member of the Comparative American Studies program. She's also a member of OPAL the Ohio Progressive Asian Women's Leadership, which is a grassroots collective that does advoca advocacy for AAPI communities. Welcome to you. I'd, I'd also like to welcome Lydia King, College Director for the Korean Central Presbyterian Church of Cleveland. She has worked as an educator and is currently pursuing her Master's of Divinity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Welcome, Lydia. And finally, we have Elaine Sow. She's an attorney and the CEO of Asian Services in Action Incorporated, the largest Asian-American and Pacific Islander-focused health and social services nonprofit organization in all of Ohio. Asia serves roughly 60,000 Asian-Americans locally. If you listeners or viewers have any questions for any of our speakers, you can text them to 330-541-5794. That again is 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at the City Club and we will try to work them in. So Antoinette, Lydia, and Elaine, welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'd like to start with Elaine. Yeah, thanks for being with us. 
Elaine, I'd like to start with you. Tomorrow, on Saturday, all across the nation, Unity Against Hate rallies will be held to draw attention to the violence being perpetuated against the AAPI community. In some respects, it feels like an unprecedented event uh, in this country, and I'm wondering if you feel this is a significant moment in AAPI history and what you're hoping the impact of tomorrow's event, again, happening at the same time all across the nation at 2 p.m. Eastern, what you're hoping the impact might be. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you, Jenny, for um, for that uh, up- uplifting the event that's happening tomorrow. It will be happening in the public square of Cleveland's downtown, which is you know a historical stage where Uh, and a platform for communities to raise important issues like the the issue that is currently impacting the um, Asian American community. It's also an opportunity for communities of every color to come together and, and stand together united against hate of any sort. And and do you feel in some respects this level of organization? I mean, what has kind of led to this moment where, where we are seeing, in fact, a coordination nationally that, again, you know, I, I certainly as a journalist who's been working for 20 years have not witnessed um, thus far. I mean, it seems to be a moment of galvanization for the AAPI community. Yeah, I mean, you know, histor- historically, the, the community has, remain silent when situations like this arise. And I, th- I think that it's reached a boiling point where uh, the, the Asian community has just decided enough is enough and it's time to be visible and heard. Mm-hmm. Lydia, I turn to you now. Uh, you know, a lot of the violence that we have witnessed in the last year or so has been perpetuated against older members of the AAPI community. It's been hard to watch um, in some of the bigger cities on either coast of this country. You know, we're seeing seniors that are being injured or even killed. And in conversations leading up to this forum, you have said that you feel like the younger Asian American Pacific Islander generation suddenly feels compelled to move beyond their comfort zone to protect their elders. Why don't you extrapolate on that? Yes, I'm so glad you named that because um, oftentimes us um, second generation, third generation immigrants, uh, we have some kind of cultural gap or even language barrier with our elders. And there has been difficulty in relationship. I think that's important to talk about and even our own households. But um, something that has really sparked in us is that we honor our parents. We remind ourselves you know, the way that we respect our parents is to honor them. And that translates that to protecting them at their most vulnerable time. And so I've been very passionate about that. And I've been seeing my students, my college students also, you know, just sparked in their passion to prevent anything like this to happen again to their loved ones. Um, so it's a really beautiful thing. Uh, unfortunately, it's something we have to do right now, but it is still something beautiful that I've been seeing in my own community. And is there a feeling in some respects that the older generation or, or again, the AAPI elders, that there is a vulnerability about them? A lot of them 
don't have a, you know, 100% grasp on the English language or don't feel as enfranchised um, in, in, I guess, Western society. I mean, do you think that is at play? I definitely think so. Um, when I think about my grandparents and my own mother um, and, and father, when they moved to the States, they were learning the language, right? And because of their context of arrival, they're, uh, you know, people who were coming um, after the 1965 Immigration Act, they're coming with, um, with skills and tools in their, in their pockets. And they're hoping for a better future. And so any kind of racism or microaggression that they face, they were silent about it. Um, and they just thought, this is just what comes with the package. This is what my life is going to be. And it's nothing that I'm going to rock the boat about. Um, but we're seeing that people in my generation who have been born in the States, um, we're facing this perpetual minority status, right? Oh, we identify as Americans and yet we're facing discrimination. And so, yes, I feel like for us, we've being in America and having more language tools, we're able to speak up for them and to say, you know, this isn't actually something that we can swallow and say is okay. Um, we're going to stand up together. And I think for our, my parents and for my grandparents, when they see my passion, uh, they, they are, you know, empowered by my will to speak up for them. Antoinette, you're a, you're a sociologist, and uh, in my conversations with you, I you know I understand you've really thought about the dynamics at play throughout U.S. history that has brought us to this point. Um, and again, um, some racism experience—it's nothing new. Why do you think it's so important for history, AAPI history, to be taught to our nation's children, young adults, and for that to be, um, you know, put on the fore when it comes to encouraging better relations and a better understanding of the Asian American Pacific Islanders that are in the U.S.? Um, first of all, I wanted to uh, acknowledge that I'm an indigenous woman from uh, the Pacific Islands of uh, Guahan, which is still one of the last 17 colonial possessions according in, in the world, according to the United Nations, and also that I am coming to you from Lenape, Ojibwa, Kaskasia, Potawatomi, and Wyandotte land. But going back to um, the, the larger question um, about the activism, the recent resurgence, essentially, of activism, um, on the part of various parts of the Asian American community. I think it's really important to remember that there have been various points in history where Asians have, um, and one can surmise that Asians have always um, uh, pushed back and resisted, which is the truth of all oppressed peoples. But, you know, we can talk about just even the emergence of the Asian American um, rubric under which people were motivated to organize in response to the murder of Vincent Chin, uh, Chin excuse me, a Chinese-American man um, in Michigan who was killed on the, on the eve of his wedding um, um, by two laid-off um, auto workers. So there's this kind of scapegoating that uh, where people realize, first of all, he wasn't even Japanese. He wasn't a Japanese national. He wasn't, didn't represent the 1% or Japanese uh, auto automotive executives, and yet um, he was racialized in a way that there was no distinction between a Chinese-American and a Japanese-American, let alone someone who had been in this country for many years. So I do want to say that there have been 
periods, long periods of resistance. I think the recent um, uh, upswelling of um, and the attention to anti-Asian violence really has to do with the spike in anti-Asian violence, which was uh, promulgated. Uh, by intentionally xenophobic language, um, the reference to the Wuhan virus, the mm -hmm. reference to the China virus. And at that point, um, you do have a surge of violence against people who are Asian, Asia, of Asian American uh, descent, or even just look as if or are mistaken to be Asian. Because I have know of elders in the Chamorro community who, um, you know, because of our, our, our long history and proximity with Asia, um, may be mistaken um, um, as Asian and are also experiencing the kind of anxiety and microaggressions that um, people who are East Asian um, in the community are experiencing. So I think it's really important to have a really longer view of the kind of discrimination that Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, although I do want to talk about that at some point, it's a fraught category for Pacific Islanders because we are indigenous. Sure. Um, but I do think it's important to recognize that the Chinese Americans were the first, or Chinese were first group singled out by race to be excluded, to immigrate, um, and also that an entire Asiatic Bard Zone was expanded with the M Immigration Act of, I think it was 1916 or 17. And mind you, I think this is relevant to a Cleveland context because those turn of the century immigration acts were trying to interdict. Um, immigration from um, southern and eastern Europe. So the descendants, some of the people whose grandparents or great-grandparents at this point were immigrating, were facing a lot of the xenophobia that um, brown people essentially, Latinos, Latinx, and Asians now are facing. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important that we, we have a broader, longer view um, of, of history. Um, given that, I do want to affirm that in various communities, um, at least in, uh, that the elders may be reluctant, um, whether it's a, a matter of, you know, put your head down, we came here, you know, get your education, work hard, um, you'll get ahead. Um, but as we've seen recently, again, uh, with the women who were slain in Atlanta and our elderly being um, targeted, um, to quote Audre Lorde, um, our silence will not protect us. So just to put that in, in context. Elaine, in our uh, conversations leading up to this forum, uh, you have expressed concern. Um, you know, in this country, I think it's undeniable right now, you know, that that in some respects there is a racial reckoning um, and in progress uh, at least attempted um, in this nation to address wrongs that have happened against African-Americans, minority communities. Um, but you have expressed concern that while there is all this great work being done in the DEI space, whether it's in corporations and companies, or academic establishments, you're, you're not feeling like the AAPI community um, has as much of a space um, or is being considered as much as you would like. So, so talk about that. Yeah, so, you know, in, in my role, I'm, I'm frequently intersecting with all kinds of spaces where discussions about diversity, equity, and inclusion are discussed. And unfortunately, the focus of those conversations have, you know, continuously been, um, at least in the two, two years that I've been in my role, uh, they've been continuously focused on uh, black and brown communities, which is, which is uh, you know, very valid and very important. At the same time, though, 
the Asian community is, you know, uh, similarly uh, situated in, in terms of, of, of needing to be um, supported, acknowledged, and recognized as a community that is experiencing challenges of, of every sort um, related to, to, to race. And um, it's been my uh, responsibility in so many ways, you know, when I attend these meetings and when I um, participate in these, in these groups to emphasize, uh, um, you know, by the way, you know, a a Asians are also part of this, um, this, this community that has been marginalized and faces challenges and for which there are equity concerns. So um, one, one thing um, that uh, P Professor Chaforos uh, um, uh, um, Daniel mentioned was this idea that, you know, regardless of, of whether the race is, um, the race of the individual being, being targeted, you know, is some race other, other or some ethnicity other than Chinese, everyone is just lumped together mm -hmm. as, as one. And we are not a homogenous, mm -hmm. you know, monolithic uh, community, even in terms of our health. You know, so, so Asian Services in Action has a community health center. And we, we, see, we see health disparities based on ethnicity. You know, it's not, um, it's not that, you know, the, the health concerns of Chinese people are the same as the health concerns of an indigenous community, for example, you know, like the Marshallese community that lives um, in uh, Salina, uh, Ohio. Um, there's a significant um, population of, you know, uh, uh, Pacific Islanders that, that live in, in Ohio, but I think that their, their concerns are just kind of lumped together, like they're all the same, and, and they aren't. So, um, you know, equity and disparities those, those things exist in the Asian community as well. This is Jenny Hamill with IdeaStream. We are currently having a City Club Forum conversation about hate against the AAPI community. You just heard from Elaine Sow, the CEO of Asian Services in Action. So, Lydia, I, I, I see it, it might just be your, your, your characteristic, but you're nodding a lot uh, to what Elaine has to say. Is there anything you wanted to add to that idea of, of um, you know, and, and I know it's something that Antoinette has strong um, um, thoughts on, is the idea that the ABI community is not a monolith um, and can be just as distinct, you know, from one extreme to another um, as different races are. And yet, um, I guess what I see right now, though, is there a tension to, to say, hey, Koreans are different than the Marshallese or different than the Vietnamese or different than, Ch than the Chinese or uh, the Chamorros. However, um, is there strength in, in kind of coming together and saying collectively we have been quiet for a long time and um, we want that time to be over? Yes, I think this is such an important opportunity for Asians to um, come together and to stand up with one another. And actually, I've been seeing a lot of movement even between um, I'm a Christian, so between Asian Christians and Black Christians, um, bonding over their shared oppression um, mm -hmm. and seeing that their liberation is one and the same as well. If we're not standing up for one another, we're not fixing the problem. 
And so, yes, I do believe even amongst Asians, I've been seeing such beautiful conversations like this one, right? Uh, we're all coming together from diverse backgrounds. We're all sharing the same hurts. We have similar immigrant experiences. Um, and yes, I definitely believe there is a strength in um, seeing each other's pain and uh, re remembering and learning each other's histories and seeing that we have much more in common than we think uh, than we had previously. Elaine, I'm sorry, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, just just the, the fact that we are all Americans, I mean, I, I think that we we all want to thrive and belong, regardless of what our ethnicity may, may be. You know, we, we have that that shared value to um, to, to be accepted and, and to and to be part of this um, this fabric that we call the United States. Um, you know, I, I was thinking, um, well, you know, something that I wanted to add, something that I wanted to add about, um, you know, the, the, the distinctions in the, in the DEI space is that, um, you know, I, I think that the model minority myth that is attached to the Asian community, it is so harmful because, you know, it, it paints Asians as some sort of rival against other communities of color and that that um, does not unite us. I mean, the the, the reality the, the reality is that that we that there are struggles in in every community. There there are successes in in every community, and 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 pitting pitting one community against another is 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 not how we can do more together. Um, and you know, additionally additionally you know um, you know along along the lines that we have more in common. Um, than, uh, than, than we have in, in terms of differences. Um, I just want to share a quick story. So um, I, have a, I have a family member who, who recently graduated from college and, and joined the Marines. And so, so I, um, you know, I, I, I called, I, I called the, um, this family member and, and I, said, I said, you know, oh, congratulations, you know, you're, um, you know, and I, and I thought, I, I, you know, you're, you're joining the, the toughest branch, you're joining the toughest branch of, of the military, and and I thought I was complimenting. I thought I was complimenting my um, my family member by, by saying how proud I was that that you know by characterizing it as the toughest branch of, of the military, and 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 my young my, my young family member, um, you know, responded responded to that. You know, this this is an amazing young man that that I um, was talking to, and, and and he said, you know, honestly, um, honestly, Auntie, I I uh, I don't believe in in, in comparing branches. Of, of the military because we're all here um, you know for the same purpose Interesting. and and I, th I think similarly I, th I think similarly to um, you know the, the you know all Americans you know we we all want the same thing you know it's it's um, you know we all want to live together in the United States and and comparing each other or, or making false hierarchies um, you know about about race, you know, that, that's not helpful, you know, because, you know, we're all here for the same reason, and that is to, to thrive and belong. Antoinette, I know that you have thoughts about um, 
even just the categorization of AAPI and, 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 and the distinctions that need to be made and, 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 and the microcosms that need to be kind of protected and honored as being separate. Um, how do you see that versus, you know, the, the idea that there is a strength that is created when there is kind of a unification in, 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 in making the collective community heard? Well, I think, you know, for me, one of the, as a sociologist and someone who's, who's um, work really has always been in comparative race and ethnicity, I think it's really important, particularly in the context of the city club to, first of all, talk about context and place the importance of place. I mean, we were in Ohio mm -hmm. um, in the Midwest. And so the experiences of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders are very different from, let's say, groups on uh, that uh, are some folks tongue-in-cheek who are activists um, in Asian American and Pacific Islander communities talk about coastal elites and the way in which people based in California and New York sort of get to, you know, sort of shape the dominant narrative as opposed to looking at the specificities of experiences of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the Midwest. So, for example, um, Again, um, one of the distinctions, and again, it's not so much pushing back or, or against solidarity, but making it very clear the terms in which we enter or positioned in the dialogue. So, for example, in um, California, um, also the Northwest, you have much denser settlements of Pacific Islanders. Mm -hmm. Utah, for example, is one of the largest um, communities of off-island um, Polynesians. Why? Because there's this connection to the Mormon church. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it's very much dependent upon where you're settling. And for me, I've been very clear that um, I make community with Opal because this has been a productive space for me to address these issues while we're all cognizant of both internal and uh, intra-ethnic intra, intra and inter-ethnic differences and hierarchies. And I think that's really important. It's something Elaine was talking about mm -hmm. that, you know, um, for example, when we look at the entire, just now talking about the Asian American community on its own, what we've always known, scholars have, have often referred to this community as bimodal. And I mean that in terms of the normal, the bell curve, right? Mm -hmm. So you have highly educated, um, highly, uh, uh, you have doctors, um, um, uh, Filipino nurses, for example, are among the largest group of nurses um, in the United States. Mm. Uh, and yet when we look at that mode uh, and that set of experiences of, of East Asians, Koreans, South Asians, their experiences are very different. Mm. For example, um, when you compare them to the Hmong community who are Southeast Asians who came here under very specific, in, in a different, again, context. It does not mean that we cannot be in solidarity. So in no way am I suggesting that. But for my, I have Pacific Islander colleagues who feel very strongly, given, for example, the Hawaii context, that you have settler colonization there. And so Hawaiians and Micronesians are among the, the poorest people and have highest rates of incarceration. And so for me, um, having done my work and, and taught here in the Midwest, um, I recognize I've had exactly one Pacific Islander student in my entire career. Um, and so I will make, for me, the issue is oppression mm -hmm. and how we can all understand how we're positioned. Be that as it may, I do think we need to come back to the point that you only need to be perceived as Asian um, to be um, uncomfortable 
I, a group of us from Opal were talking to Senator Dolan. And first of all, I said, I'm probably your first Pacific Islander constituent to address you. And I talked about how when my parents came, he and I are both Catholic, Roman Catholic, came for my daughter's first communion and then again for her graduation. Years later, in both, both times, they were subjected to microaggressions. Mm -hmm. And my daughter, mind you, and I noticed that you're mixed race, she's mixed race, mm -hmm. her father's from Worcester, and she can pass as white. And right. so when my parents were with my, their granddaughter, their beloved granddaughter, um, they were given um, dirty looks, like, what are you doing with that white child? Mm -hmm. um, but so I, I absolutely, um, I think we need to make these distinctions, but I also need to address the, the, the politics of place. Ohio, the, the state legislature has an opportunity for the first time to provide funding for AAPI communities to address the way in which our small business owners really do need um, economic relief uh, that is linked to not just the pandemic, but the additional burden of being seen as a menace. Um, so I think as long as we maintain that complexity, and again, um, you know, I think there's a saying, I, I worked in Congress for, uh, for the, for the non-voting delegate of, uh, from Guam, uh, right out of college. And the saying there, which um, I think is that much more relevant, is where you sit determines where you stand. And I mean that in the sense that we must stand together. Also, I also want to mention that, you know, groups like uh, Ellipsis Institute that was founded by my dear friend, Dr. Shamara Arki, predominantly black uh, women of color in the academy, YLN here in Cleveland, the Young Latino Networks. We have been doing intersectional work to talk about both the differences and the, the similarities in our experiences, which leads me to the last really critical point. Um, all, all the ways in which we are penalized have to do with simply with upholding white supremacy. And we need to address that as educators, as professionals, as people who care about um, civil society and the future of democracy. This is Jenny Hamill with IdeaStream. You are listening to a City Club Forum. You just heard from Antoinette Zapforas McDaniel, who's a member of the Ohio Progressive Asian Women's Leadership. You've heard from Lydia Kane, College Director of the Korean Central Presbyterian Church of Cleveland, and also Elaine Sao, who is CEO of Asian Services in Action. Uh, in, a, in a few minutes, we're going to turn to your questions. If you have any questions for our speakers, again, text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. 5794. You can also tweet them at the City Club. So L Lydia, you know, you have a prominent role in, in, in the church. And I understand that for a lot of Korean Americans, as Antoinette mentioned, I'm mixed race and, and, and I'm, I'm half Korean and my mother came um, from Seoul when, when she was 21. Um, so I, I have some experience with understanding how much of a central role the church plays for a lot of Korean Christians in the country. Um, you have expressed to me how, how the dynamic has changed for, let's say, the Korean Christian and their relationship with their faith. And, and suddenly now, with everything that's been going on, kind of seeing the need to have a relationship that is outward, that is beyond the church. So will you elaborate on that? And, and, and tell me, do you think that's kind of a fundamental shift that's happening? Mm, that's such a great question. I have been observing that 
um, in light of our recent events um, against Asians, um, that there has been more of an open conversation going on on things that happen outside of our church walls. Um, I, I'd say that the Korean church, as you said, is a cornerstone um, for Koreans in this community. When people immigrate to the States from Korea, they find a church because that's where they find everything else. They find um, connections to healthcare, um, anything from dry cleaning to who's going to make my, who's going to watch my kids, who's going to, uh, you know, all of that. Um, and so what I have been seeing in the past was that the church was somewhat, Korean church specifically, was somewhat of a bubble, a safe place for people to kind of escape from the racism that they face outside. You don't talk about those things out from the outside because it's painful and uh, you'd rather be silent. I think that's something that we have all been touching on today. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I have been seeing is that um, in light of you know, all the, the protests for Black Lives Matter and of um, this push for racial justice in our nation, um, that that conversation on standing up for Asian Americans, especially at the apex of the crimes in America, it has been more um, present. I've been seeing that we are more comfortable even being at rallies, at a Stop Asian Hate rally, the one that happened in March, um, where a thousand people came together. Um, It really is an encouragement for me to see that we are acknowledging the pains of our community and seeing that with our faith, um, you know, as followers of Jesus, Jesus fought for racial justice. Jesus, uh, I mean, not explicitly, but he fought for the cause of the marginalized and the oppressed and uh, reached out to those who were discriminated for their race as well. And so I'm seeing that marriage in a sense of what we believe in from what we study in scripture to contextualizing it to our present time and seeing that this is a very active way for us to be living out our faith, not just individually, but seeing that collectively we have a broader mission. Uh, We've got a bigger cause that we believe is on God's heart as well. Elaine, well, Lydia, thank you for sharing that with me because I, I do, on a personal level, find that you know very fascinating and and and, and um, interesting. Uh, Elaine, let's talk about you know Antoinette's hit on it. Um, I would like to hear um, you serve an organization that serves so many. Um, what do you think the state um, and local governments can be doing when it comes to policy or office roles or anything to kind of to, to be a part of this moment, to address, acknowledge uh, the AAPI community in the state of Ohio and to support, you know, this, this, the growth of the community and the feeling of enfranchisement um, in, in both the conversation and in and, 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 and safety and all the things, you know, that y- you need to be a thriving member of the community. Yes. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a, a wonderful question and, and a question that, that, that we've been on, on a quest uh, for, for the answer for, for so many years. You know, I, I've lived, I've lived in, in Ohio longer than I've lived in any other state in the United States. And um, I was really surprised to learn that the state of Ohio does not have an office of Asian affairs. And that is critically important for a, a, any state or you know, any place in this country that has, um, you know, uh, Asians living living within its um, within its borders, to to have an office 
that considers what the needs of that community are. Um, you know, I, I don't think that it's the responsibility of, um, you know, I, it, w it would be the responsibility of, the, of this office on, on Asian affairs to find out, you know, what are the particular needs of the community and, and then um, empower that office to uh, deliver on, on those needs and satisfy those needs. Um, you know, because the, the community is very diverse um, and it, is, it would not be a solution that would be one size fits all. There would need to be, um, you know, inquiries to the, to the various communities that live in the state of Ohio and, um, you know, tailored solutions. Antoinette, I'm going to turn our first question from the audience to you. Um, and here we okay. go. In everyday American usage, the phrase Asian American has come to specifically denote East and Southeast, and Southeast Asians. And as an Indian American, I'm often told by East Asian Americans and white Americans that obviously I'm not Asian. So my question is, who gets to define the term Asian American and how useful is it to lump disparate communities that don't necessarily identify with one another under one catch-all category? I think that's a fantastic question, and it really, um, it's interesting. Opal recently, um, I curated along with my colleague Suparna Baskaran, who is a professor at Ohio State, um, and we created a four-way conversation between um, four Asian American, um, or so denoted, um, uneasily for all of us, um, feminist scholars, um, two from UCLA, um, so the, the panel was made up of a Vietnamese Filipina um, scholar who looked at Vietnamese diasporas in Guam and Palestine, a Palestinian, Palestinian American scholar um, who looks at Arab American diaspora, um, Suparna from Opal, who's one of the founders, by the way, um, who is a queer, identifies as a queer South Asian woman, mm -hmm. and then myself as an indigenous Pacific Islander. And what was so interesting about that conversation is the way in which our various trajectories into that space um, were all shaped by, in, in different ways, race, empire, war, militarization. And yet we were sort of um, talking about the very, the, the the limitations, and as Elaine was saying, the possibilities of coming together to address the political, historical, and structural issues um, that we shared in common and how they were distinct. So for example, um, yeah, I mean, for me, as, um, as my first memory of ever thinking about race is when I came back from Guam, uh, my first memories are actually of San Diego. My dad was in the military, which was so true of Chamorros. Came back from Guam as a third grader, and a little, my black classmate, his name was Leon Sykes, walked up to me and asked me, are you a C-H asterisk N-K mm -hmm. or a J asterisk P? Mm -hmm. And I looked at him as a third grader. I didn't know what either of those things meant. I just knew they were bad, mm -hmm. right? And so um, I think that when we, when we bond together, um, it really is about trying to figure out how is this lumping together um, since it's happening? Um, how does it allow us to fight for resources structurally in schools, in government, in making sure that healthcare institutions, as Elaine was talking about, um, does work uh, that provides culturally competent uh, practitioners to be available to talk to people 
based on their backgrounds. But I will say, I think from the, I think it's really important to understand that all racialized identities are political. They are socially constructed. We may, I may have more in common genetically with Lydia than I do with someone who's from Guahan. It's dependent. So I think if we, we understand that race is a political construct that nevertheless has con real consequences um, for people's lives. Um, so there's, there's always gonna be connection from the individ our individual lived experiences connecting us all the way through to government, to laws, um, to structures, to schools, et cetera. And that's where Asian American slash Pacific Islander um, becomes a tool and every tool has its limitations and that's really the point so for example Lane when you're talking about the need for an Asian American um, office in this particular case and some Pacific Islanders would groan I would say until we're at a point where our visibility which is even smaller um, uh, is that it's important to include Pacific Islanders in this in this place at this time Lydia you know, I'm curious, uh, you, you've, you grew up in Hawaii. Um, I, I'm wondering how your own kind of personal, Antoinette shared a story from her childhood. Do you, do you, do, are there any experiences in which you kind of recognized or felt that you were different or not as included as just kind of a normal kid, you know, in, in America um, because of your race? Well, actually, um, so my history is that I actually grew up in India Oh, okay. um, for nine years of my life from three to 12. So in those days, I was the only um, East Asian in uh, South, South Asian, Southeast Asian, uh, or sorry, not Southeast Asian, South Asian population in my classroom. And so I did face some kind of difficulty when I moved to um, the um, North California, I was in a dominantly Asian population as well. And so I can't really speak to that, but I can speak to feeling very different when I moved to Cleveland, mm -hmm. actually, when I came here, um, especially in the time of um, COVID, January 2020. Um, I remember I was walking on Case Western campus because that's where most of my students are. And um, someone rolled down their window, driving by full speed, yelling COVID at me. Um, and that's when I felt very different for the first time. Ironically, in my 25 years of life, 26 years of life, I hadn't experienced that kind of hatred or racism until I moved here to Cleveland in the Midwest. Um, and of course, there have been wonderful experiences I've had in Cleveland, but that one was my first um, very blatant um, experience of hate just for the way that I looked. And yes. how did that make you feel? I mean, in that moment, did it, I mean, it obviously had staying power, but I mean. Yeah, it, I actually had a flashback to a conversation that I had with my mom where, you know, she was bullied in her younger years when she lived in Queens, New York. And when she was bullied or like, you know, literally spat upon, mm. she would freeze and she couldn't say anything um, because not just because of language barrier, but because she had no way of processing those emotions that she was feeling and i felt similarly actually in that moment i almost felt like i had to just look down and turn away mm -hmm. and act like i didn't hear him yelling that at me um but i also felt extremely unsafe i felt like he could find me and come back and just turn around turn his car around and do something else to me so i felt very very vulnerable at that moment yeah 
This is Jenny Hamill with IdeaStream. You're listening to a City Club Forum, and you just heard from Lydia Kang, who is the College Director for the Korean Central Presbyterian Church of Cleveland. Elaine, I'd like you to share um, your younger experiences in Ohio. And I know that, you know, in our previous conversations, you talked about kind of the cultural um, uh, desire to kind of keep quiet about things, even if they were painful, um, uh, when you talk about incidents that were perpetuated against you. Yeah, no, thank you for, thank you for the, um, for that question. So, Absolutely. I mean, as a as a child uh, gr- growing up in the Midwest, it was it was very difficult to um, you know be be seen as anything other than than uh, than, than different. I mean, it's not like um, it's not like I could uh, hide or um, you know for someone to not know that I'm that I'm Asian. So it was it was very difficult when we when i first moved um, my family had first moved um into a you know a neighborhood where there were very few people that looked like me and you know when my when my family was like you know unpacking the boxes and things like that you know my mom uh in her typical way you know what was uh saying you know go out go out meet meet the meet the friends meet the friends in the in the community and so so i went out and i i i uh, I ventured out and and I, I came across a uh, you know a, a porch that had a, a, a child there, and I got scared because I I you know I was I was like five years old and um, not um, didn't know anyone didn't know anyone in the new neighborhood, um, and so I hid behind a tree and I kept peering out, thinking if if that that child that was about my age you know would talk to me, um, but unfortunately the encounter was one where. Um, that that child that was about my age, instead of saying hi, um, welcome to the neighborhood, or something along those lines, the the child who was you know young five, five years old said to me, um, you know you know kind of came closer came closer to say to me, in um, and it just kind of r- like rings in my memories, you know you don't speak English, do you? And you know it was such a shock that I just ran I ran all the way back back to. Um, Back to our, our home, and I told I told my mom, you know, we we need to move. We can't live here. The people the, the kids aren't friendly. You know, I, I need to run away, and 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 um, you know that that was very sad and, and unfortunate. But um, to be honest, it made me into the the person that that I am today because you know my my mom told me to you know ignore it and um, you know be above it. Uh, and 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 not not uh, consider it, um, you know. Don't don't make that a, a weakness for me. You know, find strength. Find strength in in you know so, someone else's uh, heartlessness, and 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 be a bigger, better uh, person to represent your your community. And so so for the rest of for the rest of my um, you know educational experience, for the rest of my uh, career, it was extremely important. For, for me to um, make sure that everyone knew that, that I speak English, um, I can speak it as well as you do, um, and um, you know let, let's let's go if, if you if you want to um, uh, say that I'm not able to do something because of my race or my heritage. Mm-hmm. Elaine, I'm going to ask you uh, another audience question. Um, because I know that your organization is kind of 
actively working on the protection of, you know, the AAPI community in light of all, all, all the attacks. And, and, and you've discussed kind of even dialogues um, with, with law enforcement as, as far as their understanding of hate crimes against Asian Americans or have at least worked with members of your organization in dealing with that. Do The question is, do the speakers think the current hate crime laws can effectively address acts of prejudice prejudice against the AAPI community and other marginalized groups? If not, what would they change? And I guess I would just add to that, you know, what would you change in terms of even law enforcement approach or uh, perception when it comes to acknowledging hate crimes against the AAPI community? Yeah, so that's one of that's been one of the biggest challenges during the, the, the current uptick in unwanted anti-Asian um, you know, bias and, and mistreatment. Um, you know, so it, it's extremely important, you know, in order in order to address a problem for for that uh, that problem to be, you know, known, you know, to, 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 to report it, document it, track it. That that piece, um, you know, we I think we all can 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 agree is is extremely important. Unfortunately, um, what happens a lot of times is an incident will be reported to the police and it will not get the same um, consideration or, or it won't be acknowledged in the same way that, uh, you know, another another report of, a, of an incident might be. Um, and, you know, and, and I say this, I say this as as an attorney, you know, licensed in the state of Ohio, who who, who is, is a, you know, I, I'm aware that there um, that there is no um, no hate crime uh, per se law in in the, in the state of Ohio. You know what what the state of Ohio has is a um, a, a statute that makes a uh, it, it enhances um, the crime if it is related to you know race um, you know ethnicity or or gender and 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 a, and a list of other um, characteristics. Uh, related to the to the incident, but there isn't a standalone hate crime act in in the state of Ohio, and I, I think one is needed. Um, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't have the um, you know the exact formula for for what that would look like, but um, for sure the you know key stakeholders across the state need to at least sit down and consider a a law that um, you know makes it illegal to. Um, commit acts of hate against anyone um, in in um, in this space. Um, additionally, um, something that that's you know a, a concern um, for the community anyway is that there's there's this hesitancy to to report um, you know acts of of hate or um, you know a- anti Asian um, sentiment because you know the the police I don't think that they um, you know fully fully understand the. The, um, the 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 circumstances or or when an incident is happening, um, it might not be the best solution to call the police because it could cause the situation to, to escalate. Or um, if the police came and did not believe the the victim of of an anti Asian act, um, that that would be you know revictimizing the um, the individual all over again to have to say you know that that, that someone did something. Um, and it, it was because of my race. So um, for sure, the, the, the Asian community, um, you know, we're working you know, as an organization, Asian Services in Action is working with the community to 
um, you know, have have other have other safety plans. You know, if if uh, a community member has um, you know been victimized in in, in a way um, related to anti-Asian uh, hate, we we have um, bilingual advocates available if if that individual wishes to report it. But if the individual wishes, you know, wishes to just have have um, have the incident be heard and um, you know address some some sort of healing healing strategies, we are, have available staff as well. Antoinette, what what do you think can be done um, in in greater support of, of those who feel that they have been um, victims of prejudice or even hate crimes? Um, are well, there are there um, changes that can be made, kind of systemically, or you know, with the the agencies of power um, in Ohio and in this country to, to support the AAPI community when it comes to violence against or attacks against of in any in any nature right thank you thank you for the question I think it's a really important one and um, I, I think that a number of experts who have studied anti-asian violence and just violence uh, more generally in uh, various communities really want to go even deeper than that want to get to the root causes of you know um, sort of narr dominant narratives around who we are, um, the lack of education. I have taught, after leaving Oberlin, I've taught at several institutions, universities around, um, around uh, Cleveland, the Cleveland area, and not one of them had a single course, um, or I didn't see my colleagues who are sociologists teaching about Asian American studies with, with um, uh, recent um, exceptions at John Carroll. Um, so I think part of it is getting to the root causes, um, expanding our understanding of civil rights, um, because there's a way in which more policing um, may exacerbate the problem as opposed to address, again, the underlying causes of it. Um, one of the things that OPAL in particular would advocate for is changes in the curriculum, K through 12, as well as I would encourage my colleagues around the city um, to, again, and this goes back to Elaine's point about DEI spaces where it never even occurs um, to um, socio political science departments, sociology departments, history de uh, uh, departments with very few exceptions in this in in Ohio to really address Asian America the Asian American Pacific Islander experience so I think it, it needs to go deeper than that another one of the options is to really train both teachers and healthcare workers wherever their institutions and people have power um, to you know, learn about bystander training how can you um, how can you change the interaction? Um, that heartbreaking experience of watching this, this elderly woman um, be pummeled mm -hmm. and to, to see someone closing the door as her poor body was lying on the, you know, and I think one of the commonalities I will uh, address that are very much shared by Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, but also Latinx communities is our reverence for our elderly. Mm. And so I think there's something that's really gutting for us to think that our parents who are going, who are watering their gardens, who are getting some daily exercise um, would be vulnerable. So um, for Opal and for myself, I would say it's not so much about policing, but addressing underlying root causes, because that's what will make the difference long term as opposed to, um, and also at some basic level, what we're saying is let's change the conditions in which people who are Asia, of Asian American descent perceived to be such or are simply different 
are looked at as possible targets to take um, displaced anger out on. We Antoinette, are we are cause. out of time. I am so right, sorry. sorry. I could keep, go on forever with, <laughs> with you ladies. You have so much uh, to say, and this is such an important conversation. But I want to thank everyone for joining us for our Friday Forum. We have been talking about the issues facing the Asian American Pacific Islander community. We were joined by Antoinette Zapforis McDaniel, a member of the Ohio Progressive Asian Women's Leadership, Lydia Kang, College Director for the Korean Central Presbyterian Church of Cleveland, and Elaine Sao, CEO of Asian Services in Action Incorporated. I appreciate all of your time. And I'd like to thank the members, sponsors, and donors, and others who support the City Club's mission to create conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. They have some great conversations coming up next week. On Thursday, they'll present this annual State of the County Address with Cuyahoga County Executive Armin Budish. And on Friday, City Club CEO Dan Malthrop will talk with Congressman Anthony Gonzalez. You can find out more and see what else is coming up at cityclub.org and check out what you miss there or on PBS Passport, Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, Vimeo, and of course, the YouTube channel. I am Jenny Hamill. Thank you so much for joining us today from our Idea Stream studio. Our for forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.